Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to this special edition with my son Peter Wooding in what we call a Wooding Christmas in Wales, for this is where we both now live. And from this beautiful part of the United Kingdom, Peter, who is also a broadcaster and a journalist, is going to turn the tables on his dad by asking me all of the questions. Thank you, Dad. Well, it's kind of fun to turn the uh, microphone on you for a change because the listeners would have heard so many of your interviews but know very little about your own life. So here we go. So first question, Dad, how did you get into journalism? Well, Pete, what happened was that uh, many years ago, actually back in more than 50 years ago, I heard about a newspaper in London that Billy Graham had bought called The Christian. And uh, he had uh, bought the paper and modernized it and was looking for stuff. So I began to bombard the paper with stories. You know, we were living in the city of Birmingham in the Midlands in, in the UK. That's where you were born and Andrew, our other son, was born. And so eventually they invited me to London to have an interview and they there and then gave me a job and so we moved to London and it was a pretty amazing time because uh, moving to London from Birmingham was like going to the moon. It was a bigger move for us than eventually moving to Los Angeles. So the Christian that you, we moved to London to work for, this newspaper, I understand it was uh, owned by Billy Graham, but you were really thrown in at the deep end with your first interview. Who was that with? That was with a lady called Caressa Scott King. Now, Caressa Scott King was the widow of Martin Luther King, and Martin Luther King had been assassinated, and um, she had come over to London to speak at his memorial service at St. Paul's Cathedral. And so on my very first day at the paper, Pete, uh, the editor called me in and he said, I'd like you to go to St. Paul's Cathedral to interview this uh, amazing lady. She's the first uh, woman ever allowed in the pulpit of St. Paul's Cathedral. And she's staying with a man called Canon Collins and uh, she's there with her family. And so very nervously, I mean, what a way to start your career as a journalist to interview a world figure like Coretta Scott King. But she was delightful when I met her. Um, we sat down, all the kids were running around the room there, and uh, the first question I asked was, aren't you afraid of suffering the same fate as your husband? Well, uh, amazingly, you know, that didn't throw her at all, and she said, well, she said, I believe God's called me to do this work, and he will protect me, and my kids are with me in this. And so we did the interview, and then later on I went into St. Paul's Cathedral and watched her speak at the memorial service for her husband. So that was a pretty extraordinary beginning to my life in journalism. Sadly, after a year, I understand the paper closed, and uh, you moved to work for a local paper in Ealing in West London. You had quite an incredible assignment, though, and not long after that, you received a phone call asking you to fly to India to interview Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Tell us about that remarkable uh, meeting with Mother Teresa. 
Well, it was quite extraordinary because out of the blue, a man from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, had heard about me and phoned and said, would you be uh, uh, available to fly to Calcutta, India, to interview this lady called Mother Teresa? Now, Mother Teresa wasn't the world figure then that she is now. You know, she's now got the um, the Nobel Peace Prize, and she's been uh, sainted by the, the Pope. But um, I was able to get a little time off my from my job there in Ealing in West London and flew to India. And I remember going into the Missionary of Charities headquarters there in Calcutta. And this little lady came into the room. She was four foot eleven and she was small in stature, but she certainly wasn't small in personality. And I said to her, Mother Teresa, I've just seen the terrible situation here in in uh, Calcutta with maybe quarter of a million people sleeping on the streets how do you cope with the terrible poverty of India and she looked at me and she said young man the, the poverty of India is nothing compared with the spiritual poverty of the West and she went on this rampage about how we in the West had turned her back on her back on God and on spirituality and she basically said the poor has so much to teach us and I never will never forget that meeting with that little lady Mother Teresa but you know Coretta Scott King and then Mother Teresa what an unusual start to a career in journalism. Then you had another amazing assignment this time to Russia I understand there's probably quite dangerous during those times to go to Russia back then. That was with a remarkable guy called Ray Barnett. Tell us about that story. Well, Ray Barnett is from Coleraine, Northern Ireland, but uh, had moved to North America, was living in Surrey, British Columbia, and had started a ministry called Friends in the West. And um, he was looking for a journalist to join him and maybe a BBC reporter or cameraman to go to Russia to cover a demonstration on May Day organized by a group that you know very well, Pete, Youth with a Mission, YWAM. They were going to try and um, march into Red Square and protest against the persecution of Christians. And, of course, this was in the bad old days of the Cold War, so that was dangerous. There were two groups going to fly in. One was going in from Helsinki in Finland, and the other group was flying in to Moscow Airport and then trying to get into Red Square. And so we linked up with the um, the group that was going in from Helsinki. I had a friend called Tony Chu with me who happened to work for the BBC, and we had a uh, driver called Kingsley Fuins who joined us. We drove all the way through to um, the Russian border, crossing over on many ferries, and finally got into um, uh, just outside of Moscow, a place called Kalinin, just on uh, on May Day. The group of uh, YWAMers turned up. They were suddenly banned from going into uh, Moscow, which was about 90 miles away. And so they eventually had their demonstration just outside of Moscow at a roadblock and then were all promptly arrested, were brought back to the hotel where we were. There were now 50 KGB officers with rifles surrounding the hotel. So that was a pretty scary time. And all of us were under house arrest. And I remember I saying to Ray, Ray, what have you got me into here? And he said, wow, isn't this exciting? What a great story we'll have. 
Well, eventually we were freed. We got out there and a book was written about it called Roadblock to Moscow. So that was my first overseas assignment into Russia in those bad days. And that was the beginning of a very exciting life, traveling the world for Christ. So you eventually fulfilled your dream to get onto the national newspapers, the tabloids in London, but through some unusual circumstances with the help of Britain's most notorious gangsters, the Cray Twins. How did that happen? Well, when I was working on the local paper in Ealing, one of my contacts was a uh, an Anglican uh, priest called Father Richard Hetherington, and I would regularly go to his home and he would share with me uh, different stories and one day he said Dan you know I used to be the parish priest of the Cray Twins now many Americans won't know who they were but they were the most notorious murderers in Britain and they had uh, been put in prison for life for their various crimes and he was their parish priest at one time and was still in contact with them and uh, he told me that uh, he still gets letters from them he visits them in prison and he said, Dan, why don't you write a story about the priest that never gave up on the Cray twins? And so he introduced me to the family. In fact, Mrs. Cray, the mother, invited all of us, including you, Pete, over to their home in London. That was a pretty scary time. But actually, she was delightful. And uh, I got a little note from Ronnie Cray, one of the gangsters, asking if I would write their life story called Cray Country. Well, eventually I contacted one of the tabloids, the Sunday people in London, and suggested maybe we could do a series on their life in prison today. Well, they were so astonished that I was able to have contact with the Crays because by now Mrs. Cray was taking in my questions into the prison illegally and then they would write the answers out on toilet paper and she would give them to me. And so I got this two-part series and the Sunday people just gave me a job. They just said, well, if you can get a story like that, we need you on the staff. And so that was the beginning of a new career, this time in the tabloids. You really started to struggle with, you, with your faith during this time, but someone who had an impact in your faith really turning around was Ray Barnett. He came back into your life. He arrived at the pub that, were, that you used to go to called The Stab in the Back in London, and uh, you were drunk at the time. What, what happened then? Well, what had happened, Pete, was, uh, you know, I was in many ways thrilled to be working on the, the second biggest circulation paper in Europe, the Sunday People. And yet, uh, you know, to be able to be successful, you had to do a lot of questionable things. And um, you could uh, lie and you could cheat and that was looked upon as normal. And of course the drinking was getting out of control and uh, I for several years was in a right old mess and uh, had really gone away from my faith. And one day Ray turned up, he'd heard about how my life was falling apart and turned up at the stab in the back pub where we all used to get drunk and he turned to me and he said, Dan, look at you. He said, God has given you this gift as a writer and all you do is write drivel. And I said, Ray, why don't you just go play in the traffic? And he didn't think that was very funny, but he said, look, Dan, I want to challenge you to give up your career in the tabloids, walk away from it and come with me to Uganda in uh, East Africa to tell the story of the church under Idi Amin. 
They've murdered something like 500,000 people there. 300,000 of them are believers. And we need to be telling the story. Idi Amin has just fled the country. He's now living in Libya with uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Eventually, he got kicked out of Libya and uh, finished his life in Saudi Arabia, where they treated him as an Islamic hero. And, of course, Saudi's a lot in the news at the moment. And so he said to me, I want you to give your life back to Christ and come with me and do this book. And believe it or not, there and then in the pub, I recommitted my life to the Lord, Pete. And eventually we got on a plane and finished up in Uganda at Entebbe Airport. I know you've been there and um, we had this amazing time traveling all over Uganda, meeting the survivors of Idi Amin's Holocaust. And when on the last night I was at the Namarembi guest house, which you've stayed at in Kampala, I just knelt by the side of my bed and I just said, Lord, whatever time I've got left, I want to be able to be a voice for those who have no voice. I want to be able to talk about and write about persecuted believers. And so there and then in the pub in, Uga- in the, in the guest house in Uganda, I started a new chapter in my life. And that chapter ended up in us moving to America. Yeah, that was quite an exciting time for all of us as a family, a big move from uh, the south of England to Southern California. So Open Doors offered you a position as their media director, and they're run by God Smuggler himself, Brother Andrew. What was that transition like, that whole move? Well, what happened is when I finished the book with Ray Barnett, Uganda Holocaust, which has just been re-released by him, by the way, just go to Friends in the West website, and um, what had happened was that uh, I worked for a year as Brother Andrew's writer. I did a book with him and traveled to many, many countries, including Cuba, and eventually, um, after two years, they invited me to move over to the U.S. for three years. And um, and so I asked all of you kids, you know, do you want to make the move? Why did you agree to make the move, by the way, Pete? We were living in a suburban town near London. It wasn't the most exciting place to live, and I was fascinated with American culture. So for me as a 14-year-old to go to California high school uh, was just a dream for me. So I don't think I hesitated at all to, to go over there. And so back there uh, in 1982, we got on a plane at Heathrow Airport, finished up at Los Angeles Airport, and I began my new life in California, which actually was supposed to last for three years, but it lasted in the end for 36 years, and it was a most uh, interesting, exciting time. Tell us about some of the standout moments during your time with Open Doors. You actually took Bibles in yourself to some very dangerous places. Yes, I think one of the most interesting was when I was asked by Brother Andrew to join a Bible smuggling team to Cuba. And uh, he said to me, look, because I, you're the journalist there, you don't need to smuggle the Bibles. You just write up what it's like to be part of a team. When I arrived at Miami Airport with the leader of the group, um, what happened was he, see, he suddenly opened my suitcase and plonked a bunch of Spanish Bibles in. And he said, Dan, we want you to join us and uh, find out, you know, just see God do a miracle. We want you to pray that he'll blind the eyes of these guards. And so 
I said, look, that wasn't the deal. The deal was I just had to write the story. And he said, so you don't want to see God do a miracle? Well, that was a bit of spiritual blackmail, Pete. And so I had to agree to do it. And I remember arriving at Havana Airport. And uh, all of a sudden, the um, the immigration official, uh, you know, looked at my suitcase, uh, looked at my passport, and then he uh, passed me over to the customs, and they asked me if I had anything to declare. And as he was speaking, I started praying this in the smuggler's prayer, Lord, please blind the eyes of this God. And he wondered what on earth I was saying. Well, anyway, um, I prayed that he wouldn't see it. He went through all of my suitcases, and there were all the Spanish Bibles on the top. They hadn't become the collected works of Margaret Thatcher or anything like that. But he somehow didn't see them, and he pushed all the clothes back, and he said, you may go. And that was just so moving for me. And then a little bit later, we took the Bibles to a little Assemblies of God church in Havana. And when we walked in, a little old guy, my dad was very, very small. He was only about five feet tall. Well, this was a a similar man of a similar stature. And he came over to me and uh, he suddenly began crying. And I said, why are you so upset? What have I said to upset you? And he said... Uh, I'm not upset. These are tears of joy. You're the first Christian to bring Bibles and to encourage us from England that has come for 30 years. We can't believe that you have not forgotten us. And so that had such an impact on me, Pete, that we not only saw God do a miracle in getting the Bibles in, but we met this dear brother that was so excited that we cared enough to go and show God's love to him. What was that transition like from, you know, reporting on gangsters and uh, celebrities and using every trick in the trade to get the stories out of them to then reporting on stories like this? Well, I'd learned especially to put people at their ease so that they would give me the interview. But also it was very important because I learned something else that I had to ask them. Do you mind if I put your name in the story? Because, you know, I knew that they could be arrested if I did that. And so I had to be very, very careful in doing this. But I had some amazing times. And after about five years of working with Brother Andrew Pete, I felt God was calling me out of that to start a ministry called Assist. And uh, in the early days of Assist, I, uh, one of the uh, leaders, um, his name was Dale Keatsman, he contacted me one day and he said, Dan, I know you've been almost everywhere, but you've never been to North Korea. Would you like to go? I can get you into North Korea. And so I was able to fly to Beijing in China, go to the North Korean embassy, and there were three of us out of ten that were finally given our visas to go into the country. And we spent a whole week. I was broadcasting for the UPI radio network in Washington, D.C. But it was an extraordinary time of being able to uh, visit to one of the world's most reclusive nations, but also to find out what is happening to the church there. And we found out that many believers are in, uh, in concentration camps and they're under terrible conditions. But that was another exciting thing. And out of that, we eventually started what we called the Assist News Service. There was a, a moment where you just felt after you started Assist Ministries that God 
wanted you to give up your journalism, but something changed when you were contacted by a friend at the Billy Graham Association, and again, it was full circle for you working with Billy Graham again. Yes, out of the blue, a man called Larry Ross, who was Billy's press officer, phoned me and he said, uh, Dan, uh, Mr. Graham would like you to come to Moscow with us to uh, tabloidize his media. He's having a historic crusade in Moscow and he would like you to come and uh, write all the press releases. And I said, but Larry, I'm going through a period where I feel God can't use a former tabloid journalist. Somebody had uh, told me once that... uh, I only understood how to write rubbish, and I, for a while, believed it. You know, a lot of us, sometimes when we get negative comments like that, we do respond in a bad way. And I said, Larry, I'm not doing journalism anymore. I don't believe God wants me to do it anymore. And he said, Dan, don't be so silly. It's the only thing you're any good at. And so, believe it or not, I flew to Moscow, spent three wonderful weeks every day with Mr. Graham, in Moscow, I met a lot of dissidents who just come out of prison, and uh, and after three wonderful weeks in Moscow, Mr. Graham invited me to join him in Germany, and I covered the crusade in Germany. Then he went to Puerto Rico, and worked with Billy, and even wrote the cover story for the Saturday Evening Post on Billy and Franklin Graham. So that was a wonderful time of getting back into journalism and doing it through Billy Graham. Uh, Dr. Graham was also very good at dealing with the media, particularly the tabloid media. What was it like for you seeing him in action and also just to sit one-on-one with this incredible man? Well, he was such a, a gentle person. He was so easy. And any any interviews he did, he always put the people at ease, you know, because often they would be quite aggressive. You know, for instance, he was very, very uh, close with many American presidents, including Richard Nixon. And there was a lot of criticism about Richard Nixon. Uh, and I once actually went to Richard Nixon's funeral, and Billy actually preached at the funeral. But what was so extraordinary was that Billy also invited me to go to the funeral of Pat Nixon. And, and afterwards, I actually spent a few minutes talking to Richard Nixon, of all people, all because of Billy Graham. So it's been a very exciting time, Pete, meeting some of these great people of the world and still continuing today, now living here in the UK. You mentioned Dr. Graham met many presidents. You had uh, an unexpected meeting with the president that we sadly lost recently. Tell us that story. Yes, shortly after I arrived, and I would go to these National Religious Broadcasters Convention, Pete. I know you've been to them as well. And I had a friend there called Ed Steele, and he was always playing jokes on me. And so when I checked into the hotel in Washington, D.C., there was a note which just said, Dear, Dear Dan, welcome to the conference. Please come down to the main ballroom to meet George and Barbara Bush. Now, I thought this was a joke. But anyway, I went down after I'd unpacked, and there was George and Barbara Bush meeting uh, delegates there from the NRB. And I suddenly was introduced to them, and uh, I was so embarrassed. I said, um, Mr. and Mrs. Bush, it's a delight to meet you, but I'm not quite sure why they want me to meet you, because I'm British, and I can't vote for you. And they looked at me in total shock. 
But shortly afterwards, I managed to get a signed photo uh, of the, the three of us together at the NRB. And I remember on another occasion, I was at, uh, on the way to the NRB in Nashville, Tennessee, with a team of friends. And there at the gate, waiting for somebody, was Barbara Bush. And she was there with the Secret Service people. And uh, one of our team went up to her and said, excuse me, but are you Barbara Bush? And Barbara Bush looked at us, smiled and said, oh, no, she's much older than me. And we all had a good laugh because we realized that this was an extraordinary lady. I also went to Kenny Bunkport when George Bush hosted Yitzhak Rabin, the, uh, Rabin, the Israeli prime minister, at a special event there. And uh, I stood just a few inches from Rabin, never realizing that not long afterwards he was going to be assassinated in Israel by someone who didn't agree with the Oslo peace accords that he'd been involved with. Well, sadly, we've run out of time so quickly. I think we've barely scratched the surface with your incredible career in journalism and the people you've met. So maybe we could pick this up another time. Pete, that would be great. And maybe I'll switch the uh, story onto you as well, because you are now doing many of the exciting things that I've been doing. So this is Dan Wooding and Peter Wooding signing off with a special Christmas edition from Wales in the United Kingdom. And a happy Christmas from me, Peter Wooding. It's very special to have my parents here with us back in the UK. Thank you, Pete, and God bless all of you. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.